Today, I have one sermon, but it's going to have an A and a B part. The A part is kind of mine in connection with, with the sermon. But it's, the A part is, I guess, based on the fact that uh, I've been a pastor for a while. The title of the sermon is, Who Sinned? And the sad thing is, is that there are times in people's lives when something bad happens to them. It can be as simple as a flat tire. It can be as major as that you've been diagnosed with cancer. And it seems for some reason our many people's frequent responses is God punishing me? Did I do something wrong? Is he getting me? There was a young lady, not so young anymore, I guess, who used to be a member of our church, and so that's, I'm not talking about anybody sitting in the pews, who was diagnosed with cancer, and her response was, is God mad at me? And I find that to be so depressing as a pastor because what you're going through with the cancer and the battle that will follow up is difficult enough without having to place the guilt upon you that maybe God is out to get you. There's two verses I want you to remember that are not part of the message. The first is, it rains on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. It's just the nature of our lives. Jesus also said, I've come not to condemn the world, because the world is condemned already. He came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. And so today's title of the sermon is, Who Sinned? And that seems to be a question we often ask ourselves, and religious people seem to want to determine for others. And so in John chapter 9, starting with verse 1, it says this, as we passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. Now, I'm going to say that I believe that this was placed here with the facts known after the writing. Because it's important, but I find this bit of information unique based on the question then asked. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sent this man or his parents? that he would be born blind. And I find this funny, because if he sinned, he would have had to have sinned in his mother's womb. And in our culture today, you don't even have any rights, let alone sin or not sin. And so it's, it's interesting that there's a determination that maybe this man sinned before he was ever born. Now, he does have original sin, but then again, it rains on the just and the unjust. But that's the question. Usually it's the question is, when something bad happens, was it your fault or was it your parents' fault? And the kids will always blame the parents. That's just what kids do. And so they ask the question, who, who sinned? 
him or his parents. And Jesus answered something I think they weren't expecting. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, for those of you who are all concerned about fairness, well, it's not fair because God is going to display his works on and in him, but he had to go through a time of blindness. But then again, I think, this man, having known what it was to be blind, will appreciate the miracle of sight. While the people we're going to be discussing may be able to physically see, but will never understand their spiritual blindness. So perhaps he was blessed being blind as opposed to those who could see. And sometimes I think what we should consider is I heard a graduation speech several years ago from the uh, Los Angeles Seraphs when the, the sheriff giving the speech said that he had been diagnosed with cancer and so many people asked the question, why me? And his question was, why not me? What is it that God can do in this situation to walk with you or to change it or to do whatever that you would see so much more of God than you would have had you not gone through it. So Jesus said it was neither this man who sinned nor his parents, but was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said this, he did something. And I want you to see that God, Jesus is saying, the works of God is the reason this man can't see. And I'm going to do the works of God, which means I'm God. And I'm going to do this while I'm in the light so that you can see because time is coming when you'll no longer be able to work. Most of us kind of assume that we have all kinds of time. And we delay doing the works of him because there's always next hour or the following hour. But Jesus is saying, daylight's running out. Now's the time to do the works. So when he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seen. Now Jesus is an interesting person, God. He seems to do different things in different ways at different times. Now, Jesus could have just simply spoke and healed the man. But I think what he was doing is he wanted to show the man the works of God 
and wanted to show those who are blind who are really blind because they're going to object to simply spitting on the ground and making some mud and putting it on somebody's eyes. And the guy went. He participated. He could have said, I, Jesus came up to me. I didn't even ask him for anything. And he spit on the ground, put mud on my eyes, and told me to go away and wash. Now, there was one who had leprosy several centuries before and was told to dip himself seven times in this old muddy water. And this person thought he was too good to do that until his servant said, you know, you got leprosy. Maybe you ought to do what the guy says and does this and heal. And so this man follows the instructions and goes and washes and sees. And notice he came back seeing. It wasn't good enough to simply say, oh, I can see. Let me go see the things I haven't seen before. Rather, he went back to see the one who caused him to see. Which is unlike many people who, when they're in difficulties, we call it foxhole confessions, and they're having problems, and they're sure that there's no way out, and they pray, God, if you're just getting me out of this, I'll do whatever you want. And God gets them out, and the vast majority of people go their way. But not this man. He comes back seeing to see the one who gave him sight. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Wait a minute, there's something different. This guy used to be a beggar and he was blind, and now he's wandering around and he's seeing is this a guy? And others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he's like him. He's kind of his doppelganger. He kind of looks like him, but it can't be him because that guy was a beggar and blind. He kept saying, I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And I went away and washed and I received sight. You see, he was a witness. They asked him what went on. He told them the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He didn't add anything. He didn't subtract anything. He told them what Jesus did for him. So when Jesus does something for you, Maybe you should just tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Don't add, don't subtract. Don't say, well, I remember somebody's testimony. That sounded pretty good. I'll add that. No, no. He saw, and this is how it happened. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. That's why I came back. I'm looking for him. But I don't know where he is. Verse 13, they brought, the, to the, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. My question is why? 
Because the Pharisees are always problem makers. It's kind of like the religious establishment. They're always problem makers. The Pharisees weren't there to heal the man. The Pharisees weren't there. There's no indication that even the Pharisees gave this man money when he begged. They just, but they brought him to the Pharisees. Now was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. See, that's why I think Jesus made the clay. To open the man's eyes and to show the Pharisees how blind they are. Because they're going to focus their attention on the wrong thing. Can you think of a worse thing than to heal the man on Saturday? Can you think of a worse thing to do than to heal a man on the Sabbath? Then the Pharisees also went asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. He shortened the version. And I think the reason he shortened the version is because they weren't interested in what happened. So he gave them just enough of the truth to tell them what happened, but they're not interested. But sometimes when we witness to our friends and relatives and we can t- tell that they're not interested, you can give the shorter version. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God, because if he does not keep the Sabbath. Jesus teaches and is teaching that the Sabbath was made for man and man for the Sabbath. It wasn't about... God isn't resting every Saturday. Because if he did, there would be no point to worship on Saturday, the Sabbath. Because he would have it on his answering machine and get back on Sunday or Monday. You would pray, God, I need help. And you would get voicemail. God is not in his office. He'll be returning Sunday at 9 a.m. Leave a message. Beep. But he's God. He does the works of God every day. Yeah, God rested one day. The day he created, creation was done. He rested. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? They're going, wait a minute. This is beyond human endeavor. So therefore, God must be involved. So maybe it's okay with God because if he does these things on the Sabbath, maybe it's okay. Maybe he's not a sinner. Maybe violating the Sabbath didn't get this Sabbath violated today. And there was a division among them. That's what church people love to do. Let's have an argument. 
You take your position, you take your position, and we'll argue and never hear each other. We'll just argue. And so there was not only an argument, there was a division. How dare you hold that position? How dare you think that Jesus is not a sinner? So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Okay, here's the religious establishment. They can't decide. So they say, okay, we're going to have a tiebreaker. What do you say? Now this is where you never gain anything. Because he's going to say, so what do you say about the man who opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. He kind of takes the middle. He doesn't say he's the Messiah. He doesn't say he's the son of God. But he says he's a prophet, which means he's a messenger of God. So he's got some kind of God connection. So he can't be a sinner. The Jews then did not believe it of him. That he had been blind and had received sight until they called his parents of the very one who had received his sight. You see, they asked the guy, what do you say? They don't like the answer, so they get more information. I have two similar uh, responses. When I was um, a member of the executive um, committee of Southern Baptist uh, in California, I read a book which was interesting because I would then soon, a couple of years later, experience it. it. The book was called March of Folly, and it had three different discussions, and the first discussion was about the war in Vietnam, and it was about the March of Folly, and what they said was that the war wasn't going that great, so they commissioned a study, and the study said X, and the powers that be didn't like the answer, so they commissioned another study, and the study came back with some answers, and they didn't like the answers, so they commissioned another study. Now, at the same time, when I was, I was as a part of the executive committee, I was placed as the chairman of a committee to study the effectiveness of the cooperative program because the cooperative program had been declining in, in its... So I went places like San Diego and Oakland and Ontario and different places with my committee, and we'd interview pastors and other people and leaders, and they would tell us things. And we wrote a report, and like most committees, that report was kind of watered down, especially considering my view, because I thought we should have been a little more bold in our discussion, but they watered it down. And we presented the report to the head honchos. And just before it was to be presented to the full board, they came to me and said, we changed it. You what? We changed it. So it's basically no longer our report. It's your report. Pretty much. So I'll tell you what I did. When the meeting was over, I got in my car and I drove on the 99 
and the California Southern Baptist is located in Fresno. When I got out of the Fresno city lines, I pulled over, got out of my car, and did this. Now, in case you don't know what I'm doing, I'm, I'm stamping the dust off of my feet. That's exactly what I considered of them, okay? So, I'm used to people not doing reports and not liking it. So they, we don't like what we're heard. It doesn't conform with what we want you to say. Therefore, let's con continue to study it. So bring his parents. So they called their parents and questioned them, saying, Is this your son? And you say he was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we do not know. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now comes to see, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. So he's going, yeah, we know it's our son. We know he was born blind. After that, we take the fifth. We're not telling you nothing because we don't know nothing. And they have a reason for this. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. You see, they were threatened to be excommunicated. Now, when you live in a society of multiple religious faith, if the Catholics kick you out, the Baptists will take you. If the Baptists don't like you, the Methodists will take you, or the Presbyterians, or even the, you know, whoever. You can go somewhere and somebody will let you sit there. But when you're in Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews, with only basically one religion, and they said you're excommunicated, it doesn't just mean you don't get to go to temple. It doesn't just mean you don't get to go to synagogue. It means you're going to have a really difficult time buying and selling anything. Your life is pretty much going to be really hard and maybe over. So they said, uh, we don't know. Ask him. He's old enough to testify. So a second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God, for we know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Amazing grace. How great the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. And now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He tells them what he knows. I was blind, but now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciple too, do you? So they're going, you know, now he... Slaps them back. I told you. Told you once already. Told you all the truth. Then I, I simplified it a little bit. I'm not telling you again. 
Maybe it's because you want to hear the story because you want to be his disciples, and they obviously don't. And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, and we are the disciples of Moses. Now notice they said they reviled him. I would consider that a praise. For someone to say, you're a disciple of Jesus, praise God. I thank you that you acknowledged it, because that's what I want to be. And if you're a disciple of Moses, Moses taught of him. You're too short-sighted. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. And maybe you ought to find out. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing. Now, I love this. This guy was blind and a beggar. And he's going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. That you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. You don't have a clue where he's from. You're having this argument, but you still haven't dealt with the fact that he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing, he does his will. He hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. Now here's the thing. The first time in history, a person born blind received their sight. God the Father testified that Jesus is his son. Jesus testified he's the son of God. His works testified that he's the son of God. The scriptures testified that he's the son of God. The Holy Spirit testifies that he's the son of God. And this particular miracle, the works of God, testified that he's the son of God. And the piece of resistance, he rose from the dead according to the scriptures, which proves he is the Son of God. If this man were not from God, not only from God, is God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us? And the answer is yes and amen. Because you see, I was blind, but now I see. You continue to be blind. The difference was when Jesus put the clay on my eyes and he told me to go wash, I did so. You're blind. Maybe you should run to him and see what he needs to do to make you be able to see. But instead, they turned their back and are willfully, ignorantly blind. So yes, So whatever circumstances you are in, I doubt you were born blind and a beggar, but you may not think that you are the greatest theologian this world has ever seen. But this blind beggar taught the religious establishment things that they could never see. 
It does not matter your position. It does not matter your place in society. It does not matter your wealth or your infirmities or now special abilities as opposed to disabilities. Having met Jesus, this man knew more than those who had not met Jesus. But notice what happens to him. There is not, and they all lived happily ever after. So they put him out. By put him out meant they excommunicated him. It is easy for me to say in the safety and security of, of my home and my weight and all of those things, but it is better to be a person who sees with Jesus than a person who doesn't and has it all. This man the world may not consider blessed, but is. Jesus will tell his disciples, they persecuted me. The master, the slaves are not above the master. They will continue to persecute and challenge Jesus. And so they will his disciples. So we need to decide, as Jesus will teach, consider the cost of being his disciple. The cost may be high, may be even higher than you're willing to pay. But one thing then that I promise you, but that his word promises you, there is nothing in comparison of the blessings of eternal life than whatever it might cost. They pale in comparison. Paul says that in this life, there are times that we seem to look through a mirror darkly. We don't quite see what's going on. It's our vision getting clearer and clearer. This man went from blindness to sight. Sometimes it takes us from blindness to shadows to needing glasses to sight. But the process is still fine. And I think our prayer should be, Lord, as the one person said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I see, help me to see better. And all God's people said,